0: going on this journey uh, of what we're calling the Year of Biblical Literacy. And and so as we launch into this year together, um, over the next few weeks, um, we're going to be looking at the subject of the Bible itself. Uh, So we've called this series uh, The Good Book, Uh, and really we're looking at what we believe um, about the Bible Uh, About the authority uh, we believe the Bible has. We're going to be looking at things like uh, the reason for the Bible. Why does the Why does the Bible exist? We're going to look at some things about the origins of the Bible, Uh, and and then we're going to look about what the Bible means. What does it mean to us? How do we begin to apply the Scriptures uh, to to who we are? Um, But this morning, I want to start um, by talking about the problem with the Bible. Um, if you've if you've ever grappled with the scriptures, you know there are some problems, and so I thought let's just hit them, hit them right at the park. Uh, and so this journey that we're on, this year of biblical literacy, uh, is we're kind of tackling it in four different layers. Uh, We've talked about everybody engaging with this on a personal layer, Um, and and we're going to be encouraging all of you to practice the spiritual discipline of daily reading the scriptures. And uh, and, and an app that we've been encouraging you to use is the, the Read Scripture app. It's available Uh, on multiple platforms, Uh, so you don't just have to have an iPhone, okay? Uh, It exists on those other ones as well, whatever they're called, I can't remember. Uh, um, uh, uh, But the Read Scripture app, um, for the slightly less technical, uh, you can go to the website, if you go to centralvineyard.co.uk forward slash yobel, um, you'll be able to download a PDF of the reading plan. Um, And for those of you who have no idea... What a PDF is. We've also printed off um, some, some reading plans. So you can grab one of those uh, on your way out if you would like to do that. It is day 14. Uh, so if you start today, you've got a bit of catching up to do. Or you could just lie or, or uh, pretend that you've read the last 14 days. Um, or you could just ca- catch up uh, over the year, whatever you want to do. Um, so that's the, the kind of personal layer. There's also a communal layer um, that we really believe the Bible shouldn't be read in isolation. It should be read in community. And so we're encouraging people to form huddles uh, around the scriptures. And and what that is is just a group of three or four people in a same-sex group who who get together for an hour a week uh, to kind of dissect and and think about and distill uh, what we've been reading during the week. The third layer is our worshipful layer. And as I've said, over the next year, on and off, we're going to be teaching through a number of different teaching series uh, that kind of uh, go along this journey as we seek to kind of talk through the whole narrative of the Bible. And so be here as often as you can be, particularly at the 1115 service where there's more room. Okay, so be here as regularly as you want drag your friends to the 1115 service. And, um, and then finally, the, there's an educational layer, and that we want to invite some thinkers and people who have grappled with the Scriptures far more than you and I have done, and we want to invite them to come and challenge us and just expand our view uh, of the Bible. And as part of that, we also want to have an invitation to any of you who might want to take theological education a little bit further and... Um, and, and introduce you to something called Vineyard Institute, which is a, a distant learning program, part of the Vineyard family of churches. And uh, there are a number of modules uh, that you can take part in. And we're going to have a lot more information about that uh, in February. So it's kind of a watch this space, and we would love to invite you uh, into that. So as we uh, dive in today, I want to do a bit of an introduction um, as well as open up the scriptures together. Um, and I want to start with a couple of disclaimers, if you like. You know, when, um, when we talk about the Bible, we, some of us might find it a little bit strange. You know, we, we come here each week, we, we worship, we open up the scriptures and we take some verses and we, and we chew over them, we try and apply them to our lives and, and maybe we can handle that and that's fine. But actually what we're suggesting we do uh, in this journey in the next 12 months is actually that we would orientate ourselves um, and our lives around this text. And, um, And I'm conscious, I guess this is the disclaimer, I'm conscious when we do something like that as a church and and a church our size, that there are people who come who are in very different places and, and have very different opinions uh, about the scriptures. Some of us might think that, you know, this is just another book. It's just another book that goes on another shelf uh, somewhere, somewhere in someone else's home. You know, and it's, it's no different to any other book. Some of us might believe that actually this, this is a book that is... Purposely been written by God Himself through human authors. And so we can have lots of extremes about what we think this book might be. But whatever our relationship to this book might be, I wonder if we would be willing as a people uh, to be ready to just go in all the way. To so just go on this journey. And, and maybe think, well, I'm not sure I can do it for 12 months maybe I'll do it for six months, or maybe I'll do it for six weeks, maybe I'll do it for six days. But I just wonder if we could be a people who make that choice this morning to go on that journey. Maybe you don't know what you think about this book. Um, Maybe you haven't fully resolved uh, what it is, or even what you believe about it. But regardless of that, would you be willing to take this journey? Would you be willing... Uh, To not sit on the sidelines, but actually uh, be all in. Um, You know, would we be willing to come with open hearts and a level of expectancy? uh, And and that actually that we might encounter something, or more importantly, we might encounter someone as we open up the scriptures uh, in the next year. So that's my first disclaimer that we recognise we're all in different places and would be we willing to step in. Um, My second thing is this: that um, you know we're not going to cover everything in the scriptures. We're not going to cover every subject. Uh, We're not going to do that this morning. We're not going to do that this year. (laughs) Okay, we're not going to get through the whole thing. And actually, we may end this year with more questions than answers. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay for us to have questions at the end of this experiment. As one theologian says, he says, "'Churches need an atmosphere where questions and queries "'about truthfulness are encouraged. "'And to take questions of the Bible seriously, "'believing Christianity thrives under honest investigation.'" So sometimes we can be afraid to ask the big questions, can't we? We can be be afraid of queries and curiosity. We can be afraid of doubt. But could it, as we enter into this journey, could we be a people who embrace those things? (laughs) Who embrace our questions, who who embrace our doubts, who embrace the fact that in a room this size there are a number of different opinions. And, and, And as we do that could we be open to the fact that we might encounter something along the way that we we may encounter Jesus as we as we do this and that equally we might get to the end of this and have some interesting questions still to ask and you know and especially if you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus maybe you're here this morning and you're just trying to check this thing out you're not quite sure uh, what it all means, and maybe, and, and my hope is that as we engage with this process, that you, um, you would have the opportunity to take some of those questions that are burning in your heart and find some really interesting answers as we, as we go along. Okay, so there are my two disclaimers. Now, you might be thinking, why on earth are we de- are devoting an entire year to biblical literacy? doesn 't seem very fashionable you know, after all aren 't we one of those cool churches? you know really need the Bible you know all of those things but why, why are we doing this and Actually, it kind of come about because I actually think uh, we have a problem. I think when it comes to the Bible uh, as a church, both the church universally and us as a local church, in many ways we have become illiterate and I think um, you know we love podcasts, we love sermons, we love devotional thoughts about the Bible, which are all good in their own context. But actually, uh, reading the Bible and knowing the story of how this collection of sixty-six books are, are put together and how they fit together and how we approach the Bible has become, in many ways, for many of us, a lost art. And so, why? is biblical literacy so low? Well, I think some of it has to do with the fact that we don't read anymore. And, and particularly, we don't read that many books anymore. We read threads and we read blogs, we read posts, and then our concentration ends. We don't always get lost in a good book anymore, in a good story and when it comes to a book like the Bible, you know, which is leather-bound... I mean, who, who binds books in leather nowadays? And it's got these really thin pages, which is apparently good for smoking something in prison. Um, but it has these really uh, thin pages. And uh, it has these weird names in it, you know. And these weird circumstances take place from time to time. You know, it's actually a book that's hard to engage with in a meaningful way. One of the other problems that we have, one of the reasons why our literacy can be quite low, is because of consumerism. As consumers, we believe the shortest route to improvement is through purchasing something. I don't know if you've ever... Notice that's essentially what consumerism is, isn't it? But we have a tendency, and what has a tendency to happen is like when churches take on initiatives. You know, we're going to read the Bible in a year. And so our response to solve that issue or to engage with that is to go and buy a Bible. Uh, And I'm conscious some of you might have been guilty of that this week, but uh, to go and buy a Bible. And what we do is we add that Bible to the pile of Bibles that we already own. Um, anybody else got multiple Bibles at home? And you see, I don't think we have a Bible purchasing problem. We have a Bible reading problem. <laughs> you know. Um, but we think we're solving the problem by buying another Bible. Um, but it doesn't quite work that way. And so um, we all have collections of Bibles. Did you know the Bible is the most uh, popular book uh, year on year? Something around 25 million Bibles are sold every year. Uh, and so the Bible remains the best-selling book. But I would contest, although it's the best-selling book, it's probably also the most unread book. Now, some of us, um, we may distance ourselves from the Bible. Um, because, because actually, when we go there, it just creates too many conflicts. You know, there's too many inconsistencies, and I don't know how to address them. Uh, one example would be the book of Joshua. Has anybody... Read the book of Joshua recently. Um, we're going to get to it in the reading plan eventually, um, but some of us might read that and think, "Wow, look what happens when people follow God's leading!" You know, uh, God is really faithful. God could be trusted. He he overthrows the enemies of of God's people and he brings them victory. He he, get, he, he brings Joshua into his destiny and his enemies are, are brought down and. Um, and the people go into the land, they take the promise that God has made them. Isn't it an amazing story? Yet others of us might read the book of Joshua and think, and think, how is this not a story of a God who commands genocide and murder? How is this not a story of a God who condemns to death innocent women and children? How can a story like this be in such a a sacred text? How can this be even in the Bible? And so um, our big problem is we, we kind of find these conflicts along the way. And as we, as we read them, our tendency is just to distance ourselves because we struggle to resolve the conflicts that they bring. And so my hope in this journey that we go on over the next 12 months is that we, we begin to learn to resolve some of those conflicts. We might not resolve them all, and I'm okay there. I reckon God can cope with that too. He's not bothered um, by your uh, conflicts in that sense. Um, the other thing is, is that we, we sometimes distance ourselves because we have to wrestle uh, to find the meaning in the Scriptures often. Often we have to wrestle to figure out what things mean. Uh, one example would be the Apostle Paul. You know, in the New Testament, he, he writes a number of the letters in the New Testament. And in, the, in a number of his letters, he instructs God's people to greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't know if anybody, anyone greeted you with a holy kiss this morning. Maybe your spouse, and that's okay. But if anybody did here, tell me, and we'll deal with them. But, um... Uh, <laughs> uh, We don't do that, do we? Thank goodness. We don't greet one another with a holy kiss. And so at some stage, someone has wrestled with that. Even though it's in the Bible, um, they've wrestled with it and found new meaning. And at some point, we've decided it doesn't mean a holy kiss, doesn't mean a holy kiss anymore. Instead, we've opted for a slightly awkward Christian side hug. Have you ever, ever experienced those... Um, if, if you're new to church and you see people hugging from the side, that's the Christian interpretation of a holy kiss, okay? These kind of weird side hugs. Um, stick around, you'll see it. Um, what was I talking about? Um, and, and, so, and so what happens is we have to fight for meaning, don't we? We have to discover what it means. What, what does it mean for us right now? If you want to kiss each other, you can, I suppose. But, um, you know, but what does it mean? <laughs> Just don't kiss me, okay? Um, Mark Twain uh, once said, "The Bible in the Bible, you can find both the poison and the cure. And isn't that so often true? You know, the Bible historically, sadly, has been poison. It's been used to start wars and, and create division it 's been used, used to allow sexism and slavery and genocide to take place, and yet at the same time, the bible has also been the cure it 's been the cure in war situations where people who have read the scriptures have have opted to be people of peace who go into war situations and bring about Uh, peace and reconciliation it's been used to bring about equality to empower women and other minorities it's been used to conquer racial divides and it continues to be used to motivate the end of things like slavery but i guess the question is if there's so many problems with the bible why don't we just toss it out why don't we just get rid of it you know um I'm sure we could find some inspiration from a, a nice picture or something. You know those black pictures or whatever. Um, I'm sure we could find some inspiration for somewhere else. Why? Why do we keep reading this book? And well, well, here's why I think. I think the reason we keep reading this book, the Bible, is because we're followers of Jesus, and Jesus was obsessed. With the scriptures, at least the Old Testament, you know, as by his teenage years, he would have memorized uh, the Old Testament, he, he would often quote the scriptures, he would teach the scriptures, he would argue about the best interpretation for the scriptures, he would pray the scriptures, and he would um, orientate his life, and, and he would see the world around him through the scriptures, and because we're followers of Jesus, it's our aim and goal to have the same kind of relationship with the Bible that Jesus had. And so if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 4. I really encourage you over this year to bring your Bibles to church. Um, you know, get the dust off them. Um you can equally turn to the Bible as a, in a device on your phone or whatever as well. Uh, but Matthew chapter 4. And I just want to look quick, really quickly look at how Jesus relates to the Scriptures and how he places authority on them. Matthew 4 is a... Familiar passage of scripture, it tells the story of Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. And so, up until this point, Jesus is he's about 30 years of age, he's, he's lived in obscurity, he's just been a carpenter's son for the last 30 years, and his ministry is about to begin. And so, he goes uh, to be baptized by John the Baptizer, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. There's this weird thing with a dove that takes place. And then the Bible says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness uh, where he fasted and prayed for 40 days. And it's in this place where he's fasting and praying that he encounters uh, the tempter or or the devil or Satan, whatever you want to call him. Now, this, this isn't the first time the devil shows up in the scriptures uh, you know, he shows up in Genesis, doesn't he? If you've been reading along, Genesis 3, the devil appears as a serpent and he comes and he, he does one thing to the first human beings. He, he says, he, says um, he helps them to question whether God really said what he said. That he, he gets them to question what God's promises are. He says, did God really say? That's what he says to the first humans uh, and, and, and as he tempts them. And so Jesus uh, meets the same tempter. Uh, the devil. And he knows Jesus is hungry. He's hungry because he's been fasting, okay? He's not one of those modern fasts where you go off Facebook for a week, but he's been fasting food, okay? Uh, So he's hungry, Uh, and, and, and the devil knows this. He knows Jesus is hungry, and he comes to him, and he says this. He says, "'If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread.'" And Jesus answers, "'It is written.'" See, Jesus' response to the devil's temptation is to respond with scripture itself. It's like Jesus' mind and being is saturated with the truth of the scriptures. And so Satan tries to tempt Jesus in a, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of struggle. He tries to tempt him and say, you're hungry, aren't you, Jesus? And Jesus comes back so he, and he, he quotes this passage from the book of deuteronomy and he says it is written man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god and so jesus quotes the scriptures back to the tempter and so the devil kind of cottons onto this and thinks oh i can play that game too i know my bible um, okay, Jesus, if you want to play that game, let's, let's have a go at this. And so, and so the devil says, uh, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And then he's like, you know, Jesus, because you can throw yourself down because Psalm 91 says, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in his hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And so the devil takes Jesus' tactic. He thinks, okay, if he's going to use scripture, I'm going to use scripture. And, uh, and he uses this scripture. Now, Jesus knows this scripture, and he knows Psalm 91, and he, he knows it doesn't mean that. And it, it's kind of like Jesus begins to have this kind of back and forth with the devil. And, and it's kind of like him saying, you know what, you're not going to win this. You know, I'm, I'm going to play my trump card now. Um, and you might be able to quote scripture, but you should know this: it is also written, "Do not put the Lord your God to the test." And so Jesus takes this passage that the devil quotes at him and says, "That that may be true, but actually, in Deuteronomy six, it says this." And so he he, he repurposes the understanding. Uh, of what is being pushed towards him. Then lastly, this third temptation. Basically, the devil wants to get Jesus to to worship him. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. It's kind of the devil's last pitch. You know, he's kind of like, have I worn him down yet? You know, have I... Could I trick him? Maybe I could just trick him into worshipping me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So three times Jesus is tempted by the devil and then three times he uses his authority and understanding of the scriptures to fight back. Now it's interesting to remember who Jesus is in this context. You know, Jesus is the Son of God, okay, and that means he has some resources at his disposal. You know, he has the resources of heaven, um, and and when he is being um, uh, attacked and tempted by the devil, he has the ability to overcome him with any of his powers. Maybe, you know, lightning bolts from his eyes. I don't know know what they might be, but he, he, he has unlimited power. He's the son of God. But instead of using any of that power, each time he's tempted, he uses the word of God to combat Satan. He uses the truth and authority of the scriptures. So three times he's tempted and three times he responds, it is written, it is written. It is written. I also think that as Jesus uses the scriptures to to fight against temptation, he begins to reveal to us the power of the scriptures. We see this in the first temptation. Jesus shows us that that God's word is sufficient. That God's word is, is enough. How, how many of us in times of need look to so many different places for our needs to be met, yet Jesus reveals to us that God's word is enough. That if we feast on this book, it has the power not only to nourish us spiritually, but to nourish our flesh as well. Every word that proceeds from mouth, the mouth of God. The second temptation shows us that God's word is coherent, that it all fits, that there are times when we read the Bible over the next year, we're going to think this contradicts itself, that this doesn't make sense. And we see this going on um, with Jesus and Satan, you know, say, and he quotes Psalm 91, and Jesus says, that's not what it says. When Jesus rebukes that, he's not saying, God doesn't care for me, God wouldn't rescue me. Of course God would rescue him. But Jesus says, but we, we, we look at that scripture and we hold it up against this one. And there's this coherent kind of reality to the scriptures. And so Jesus says, God God is my protector, but I'm also not meant to throw myself off a cliff and tempt God. And, and, and so we see that use of the scriptures. And so there's a, there's a reality that the scriptures are coherent and trustworthy. And the third temptation, Jesus shows us that God's word is authoritative. And you might think, well, where does the Bible get its authority from? How does the Bible, this ancient text, get to tell me what to do? And my simplest answer is that it gets its authority from God. The Bible gets its authority from God. And, and, and we, as followers of Jesus, we trust the Bible because we trust Jesus. Not the other way around. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What he didn't say was, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to the Bible. And as one author said, he said, Our our, our trust in the Bible stems from our trust in Jesus Christ. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus. I love him. I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful, powerful, I will too. Even if some of my questions remain unanswered or my answers remain unpopular. See, we trust the scriptures because we trust Jesus. And so we trust the scriptures because we trust Jesus and we trust that it's sufficient. We trust it's coherent. We trust that it has authority. Okay, just to finish up, in John chapter 5 and verse 39, I think it is, Jesus is speaking to some religious leaders, the religious elite of his day. And he says these words to him. He says, you study the scriptures diligently. And you know what? That's a noble thing, isn't it? You know, we want to spend the next year being diligent students of the scriptures. We want to invest our time, our energy and resource into diligently studying the scriptures. But he also goes on, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them You have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. You see, this whole book is about Jesus. It all points to him. But I think the problem is, is that we can sometimes end up in a place where, where we know a bunch of stuff about this book, and yet we fail to encounter the person it's really about, that we fail to encounter Jesus. And as we seek out the scriptures this year, I think Jesus' word to us would be, would you seek me out too? Would you seek me too? You know, let, let's not let this year be a year where we get puffed up with lots of knowledge and we become the kind of people who can win an argument because arguments are always great in church. Let's not be those kinds of people, okay? That's not why we're doing this. We're doing this. We're encouraging you to grapple with the scriptures. We encourage you to read the scriptures and the daily habit and the daily practice of reading the scriptures because we want to find more of Jesus. We want to find more of him. We want to experience more of him. We want to fall in love more with him. And we want to discover that in his word.